You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Mariana Sotomayor, congressional reporter at the Washington Post. I cover the House of Representatives, so I'm very excited to talk to our guest today, Congressman Fred Upton. He's a Republican from Michigan, has served in Congress for 30 years, so you're just a great person to give us some insight to how you saw Congress, how you continue to see Congress change. So thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's nice to be with you. And yeah, I've had a little bird's eye view of, of how things work here. And um, we got to work together. That's always been my MO. So it's, I'm delighted to be with you this morning. Yeah, you know, I do want to talk about the need to work in a bipartisan way, especially as we continue to see just how toxic things can become on Capitol Hill. But I do want to start with some news this morning on the economy, which everyone's focused on. That, of course, being that new jobs report, um, pretty disappointing numbers, only 210,000 new jobs added in the last month. But we're seeing a better um, unemployment rate. It's gone down. What do you make of those numbers? And, and what do you think is the solution to make sure that people are entering the uh, the job force again after the pandemic? Well, you know, I was surprised when I heard those numbers this morning and there's a lot of, a lot of questions about exactly what do they mean because the unemployment rate did come down. I tell you, as I talk to my employers back home in Southwest Michigan, there's not a one. I mean, any you pick the field from uh, uh, autos to appliances. I talked to one of my sheriffs last night. You know, he had this uh, terrible shooting earlier this week in, in Michigan and uh, I was checking in with him and he said, they need 40 people. Uh, you know, the truck washers, uh, pretty simple job. I think you need a long broomstick and a power washer, maybe a brush for the tires. Uh, there's yard signs for people looking for truck washers starting at 18.05 an hour. Uh, I've got school superintendents that are driving school buses because they can't find school bus drivers. And, you know, it, it snowed uh, when I came back to, to, to Washington this week, uh, back in uh, from, from Michigan. Uh, even MDOT is looking for hundreds of snowplow drivers. I've never heard those things before. So, you know, you go to any restaurant, uh, you know, they've all got signs, help wanted. Uh, they've curtailed their hours. They're closed multiple days now. I mean, it, it's, you'd think that... Uh, we ought to be at, at full employment. And why is it that only 210,000 jobs are created? It's just, you know, there's a little fudge, I guess, listening to the radio this morning coming in. Well, it could change, you know, over the next uh, month or two. So uh, we'll see. But yeah, I think we're all stunned by not enough people coming back to the workforce when, in fact, people are needed. That's one of the reasons why we have the supply chain issues that we have today. Truck drivers, I mean, everything. Yeah, I, I know looking into next year, there are a number of pieces of legislation that many, both Democrats, Republicans, want to try and make sure, like you said, supply chain, those bringing people back to the workforce, hopefully that could help. Um, one of those bills, of course, that could create jobs is that bipartisan infrastructure bill. Um, you voted for it. Can you tell us a little bit about why, in some ways, considered you broke away with the party you got a lot of backlash for for doing that but bipartisan or this is typically a bipartisan issue it's not necessarily a controversial one um tell me a little bit about why you did that and why you thought it was important to vote for your district well a uh, couple things and i love the column today in the post on page two where it talked about don young today and how he was chairman of the transportation committee and i think the first bill that he moved through and i was once on the transportation committee 
had 417 votes. Uh, uh, it was clearly bipartisan. This bill really was bipartisan from the get-go. Uh, Governor Larry Hogan invited a number of us problem solvers, uh, caucus members in the House, uh, up to his residence back in April. We had a 24-hour summit. And we had, I don't know, 25, 30 members, uh, not only the House, the Senate, number of governors, uh, not only personally there, but on Zoom as well. Larry Summers uh, gave us uh, some some economic numbers. Uh, we talked about the need for infrastructure, always an issue in Michigan, for sure. I mean, our governor ran on one theme, fix the damn roads, uh, when she won uh, two years ago. But we, we first determined what's infrastructure? What is the traditional infrastructure? Roads, ports, broadband, energy security, the things that we ended up with in that bill. Uh, we came to a conclusion that that ought to be it. We shouldn't be doing the, the broader package, the Build Back Better plan, it wasn't named that then, but you know, massive spending, uh, we limited it to that. Then we also came to the conclusion that unlike the COVID packages that passed under both Trump and Biden, that simply added to the debt, we were going to pay for it. Uh, any new spending, we were going to pay for. And we did. We came up for the pay-fors. Uh, Rob Portman, Republican Senator Ohio, former budget director under Bush, uh, really good guy, was uh, on the super committee. I was with him back then. Uh, really good friend. Uh, he, he helped negotiate that, and they went through a, a long, a long uh, Senate discussion, uh, adding and subtracting a variety of different amendments. And at the end of the day, of course, in August, they passed it 69 to 30. Now, I've gotten some death threats, uh, more than more than a handful. Uh, but one of the worst ones that came in was a gentleman. Well, I can't say gentleman, a guy from South Carolina. And my immediate response was, you know, his senator. President Trump's best friend in the Senate, Lindsey Graham. Lindsey voted for the bill when it passed 69 to 30. And had we taken it up then in August, most observers think we would have had 40 to 60 Republicans uh, that would have voted for the bill. Trump was against it. He said he had a better bill. His bill was more expensive, no pay fors and, and got people to sort of get off the wagon to, to get this bill done. Uh, but it was held hostage then. Uh, by the progressives in the Congress. Uh, they tried to get the Build Back Better plan attached to this and ultimately uh, failed, which is why they voted against the the, uh, the bipartisan bill uh, at the end of the day. Uh, but, you know, for us, the people that helped write it, the, the actual blueprint, uh, particularly in the Problem Solvers Caucus, uh, we won't get a back off from uh, a need that, that we knew had to pass. And, you know, again, in my district, uh, you know, Everyone knows about Flint, Michigan, and the, the lead in their water lines. Uh, the very next week, I was out with a, a crew in my district replacing lead water lines. Uh, this bill has $15 billion uh, uh, in it uh, to try and help communities across the country. But whether it's ports or bridges, highways, uh, broadband, you know, all those things we considered as real infrastructure needs and needed, needed to be done, which is why it, it ultimately passed. Uh, by a, a really good vote in the Senate and a decent vote in the House, despite the opposition that was really, um, you know, put against us uh, when we got it done. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that you all very much um, in your conference committees, you know, we've been reporting out the fact that a, a lot of those very pro-Trump members within the caucus were 
just targeting you all, the, the, the 13 of you who voted on that infrastructure bill saying that Republicans need to stay together at all times. I know leadership allows many of you to vote your conscience. Um, but do you think that leadership is doing enough, given the fact that even this week we have seen Republicans on Twitter going after each other? Is that a distraction to all that you all are trying to do? And who can really make sure that those temperatures are tamped down? You know, it is a distraction. Uh, I don't think anyone would say otherwise. Um, you know, I look at my background. I, I never thought I'd be a member of Congress. I never thought I'd be an elected official. Uh, uh, I worked for a guy, though, by the name of Ronald Reagan for a couple of years uh, down at the White House, a Republican president of Democratic Congress. He got things done. And the, the biggest uh, accolade, I guess you could say, was when he ran for re-election, he won 49 states. Uh, most Americans probably can't name the one state that he lost, but that was because it was Mondale running for Minnesota, which is the only state he lost. But he won California. Uh, he won New York. And I saw Larry Hogan's comment this last week that Trump lost to Maryland by 33 points. Uh, he wasn't looking forward to it his endorsement in some type of race, but he got things done. And when I came to Congress, I said, I'm going to try to get things done too. As a Republican, I'll confess, I never thought we would be in the majority because for my lifetime, we weren't. Uh, and it wasn't until 94 that actually the, the gavel changed. But all my days, I've talked about being bipartisan. I did that when I was chairman of the Energy and Commerce Committee. I've done that with virtually every bill that I've introduced. Uh, and I can tell you a lot of stories, but we don't have enough, enough time for, for some of those. But that's what the American public wants. They don't really care. At least I say this and I say this at home. They don't care if you have necessarily an R or a D next to your name for Republican or Democrat. They want you to work together. Uh, as part of our Problem Solvers Caucus, we take a civility pledge. Uh, we also take a pledge that we're not going to work against each other. That's the only way you build trust. I mean, we had... We had a meeting, we're back to in-person meetings now, uh, wear my ass for sure, but uh, we're back to in-person meetings. We probably had, I don't know, 30 members of our 60 group that were there, maybe a little bit more. We had the chairman of Google there. We told them that it was uh, off the record, but we, we had a lot of questions. Obviously, social media is a, a huge issue uh, right now, and he had uh, some thoughts, and it was a very positive discussion, very constructive. But you look around that table, none of us, uh, would work against anyone in that room, uh, politically or uh, bomb throwing or, or anything else. And I, well, that's what I think the American public wants to see. I mean, we can, we can disagree on the issues, and we do even within our own caucus. But it doesn't mean you have to be disagreeable. And when you have some bomb throwers on both sides that are really nasty, um, that's unfortunate because that, that uh, frankly, it gives Congress a pretty bad name. Yeah, can I ask you, you know, what are you or your fellow colleagues trying to do essentially to make sure that those bomb throwers don't define the Republican Party? Some are arguing, of course, that because they, their bomb throwing, like you said, has not been tamped down, they do feel empowered to keep doing it. Yeah, it does. And, you know, in this uh, age of, you know, you have to raise so much money to run, win re-elections, you got those universes that are out there uh, looking to try and help. Uh, that that certainly contributes to it. But I'll, I'll tell you a little funny story. Uh, I had never talked with my colleague uh, Omar uh, the, all the days she's been in Congress. Of course, I know who she is. I, I know she knows who I am, too. I'm usually on the Republican side of the aisle. Um, so um, 
she was she was attacked as well. Um, uh, she released some of the tapes of people going after her earlier this week that were very very nasty. And I uh, uh, I was looking for her on the house floor and I, I couldn't find her. And so I asked my good friend Debbie Dingle to where where does she usually sit because I don't you know she wasn't in her normal place. And so Debbie Debbie followed her and she brought her over to me. And, uh, I said, you know, I, I don't know you all that well. We've never, never talked. We both had a mask on. Uh, and I said, you can't see my smile, but I'm I'm smiling behind this mask. But I just wonder if the same person that went after you publicly, and again, she released the, the transcript, they used the same words against me. And I had a monogram on my shirt and, you know, my initials, you know what they are. <laughs> I said, they they use more than just my initials in going after us, but I wonder if it's the same person from South Carolina that, that went after you. So she started laughing when we had we had a good good conversation, and you got to sort of put it in that light. But uh, on the seriousness of stuff, I'm really afraid someone's going to get hurt. We had this uh, terrible school shooting this week in Michigan, but uh, I and we've had some shootings in my in my district and talking to some of the victims and uh, you know, the survivors and my law enforcement folks. And, and I was once on the education committee and I uh, can remember the hearing that we had with the Columbine survivors. That was really the first big school shooting that, that I can remember, but I was on the committee then. There wasn't a dry eye in the place. Uh, and we know that kids, and I'm a, I'm a dad, kids can't learn if, if they don't feel like they're in a safe environment. and is one that uh, until COVID visited literally a school every week uh, that I've been in office, so all levels. Uh, I can, you know, there's been a big change in security from when I was a student at Brown School to, to what they are today. And uh, I've been, you know, I've seen the, the live shooter drills the day before Parkland. I was at uh, one of my my high schools in, in Kalamazoo and uh, they had a live show, shooter drill while I was there speaking to 300 kids. So, and I was back there the next week uh, meeting with the student council and others and law enforcement and Debbie Dingle actually came to my district. It was bipartisan. I came, I went to hers as well, just talking about what we could do as, you know, leaders in the community to, to try and uh, stop this stuff. And, uh, you know, if, if you've watched any of the, the video interviews, including this morning, I was watching CNN this morning and Mike Bouchard, the sheriff in Oakland County was on. I know Mike. Bouchard, even though it's the other side of the state for me, he was a statewide candidate. I think he was president of the Michigan Sheriff's Association for a while. Uh, solid guy, well-respected. Thank God his, his troops were trained and they were there and prevented uh, what could have been far worse. But I'll, I'll tell you, it's a lot different today uh, than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago as kids uh, go to school. And no parent wants to not have their son or daughter come home safely. Yeah, you know, a theme of what you've been mentioning is just how difficult it has become to work with a lot of members just because of the political toxicity on different issues. You, of course, you've mentioned several Democrats that you work with. Um, I do want to pivot to look at COVID because that is a place where, you know, when it comes to response, you have been working with fellow Democrats to try and get more help to your state, which has just been constantly seeing new new cases, a rise of new cases in Michigan. Um, you know, when you talk about needing more resources, yesterday, 
and over on the Senate side, a number of Republicans were saying, you know, I don't want to support the government funding bill, which tends to not, it has become more political, I should say, it used to not really be that big of an issue. Um, but they said that they weren't going to support it because they wanted to vote um, and make sure that, you know, vaccine mandates, that there's all these different mandates aren't put in place. Is that helpful? Because even so, you know, that amendment failed. It's still kind of the position of the party saying, you know, we shouldn't have all of these mandates. We shouldn't necessarily, I don't know, it could be going against what you're asking for, just more resources here and there in your own state and help from the federal government. Yeah, well, a couple of things. First of all, I'm going to, I'm going to just go back a step. Our delegation generally works pretty well together. I mean, whether it's protecting the Great Lakes, uh, when we started COVID, uh, we all worked together, Republicans and Democrats getting, trying to get more PPE, uh, personal protection equipment. I mean, all of that, we had a lot of conference calls and, uh, you know, tragically, Michigan now is one of the worst states uh, with, with these new incidences. I, I talk to my health providers myself every week. I get a count, I get a daily count uh, from the, the counties that I represent of the people that are vaccinated first dose, second dose, um, and we're, we're working on now seeing who's been boosted. A lot of this has to be on the education side. You know, when we did the 21st Century Cures Bill, that was my big bill when I chaired Energy and Commerce. We expedited, uh, uh, 21st Century Cures expedited the approvals of drugs and devices, uh, coupled with $45 billion more in NIH funding, uh, research funds. And that went back to my early days when Newt Gingrich uh, had pegged me as the lead Republican with John McCain to double the money for the NIH. Uh, we passed that bill, uh, the, the, we passed the 21st Century Cures Bill 392 to 26. It was literally the last bill that President Obama signed into law. And because we did that, we were able to see Pfizer, Moderna, J&J &J actually get their emergency use authorizations and production of the vaccine months early, maybe eight to 10 months earlier than it otherwise would have been, which as we know, saved hundreds of thousands of Americans because we were able to do that. But we have to do a better education effort. I looked at my numbers again this morning for my counties back home. I think we have maybe two counties that are over 50% in terms of getting that, let alone where the booster is. When I talked to some of my hospital administrators earlier this week, it's like, 90% of the folks in the hospital, almost 100% on ventilators, weren't vaccinated. Um, I mean, the evidence seems pretty apparent, but we, we have to do a better job of educating folks to, to let people know what happened. Now, there was an early problem with the vaccine, uh, that, uh, and we correct this. We've now introduced uh, Diana DeGette, who's my, been my partner on 21st Century Cures. Uh, we've now introduced HR 6000, uh, just uh, in the last week or so, and we're, we're calling it Cures 2.0, but one of the things that it does, it, it requires, when you do these drug trials, you got to make sure that uh, minorities are included uh, to make sure that uh, the diversity uh, issue is well represented. Uh, that wasn't the case, uh, I think, in the, in the COVID vaccine trials. And as a consequence, particularly folks of color were, very, were petrified. Uh, about getting uh, that shot. And I think we've done a, a lot to correct it. Again, I, I look at uh, shots 
in, in my minority districts, and, uh, and it seems like they're they're doing a little better than than other areas uh, in my district and, and around the state. But we correct that in, in Cures 2.0. Uh, but I've not been one to mandate a vaccine. Uh, I, I think we have to do a better job of educating folks, and particularly now with this new variant that's out there. And again, listening to the news this morning, I think it's perhaps three times more contagious. We don't know yet whether it's more deadly or not. We'll know in the next couple of weeks. But we have to share that evidence and and uh, let people know what the consequences are uh, and make sure that we have the availability uh, of that that booster shot uh, and to make sure that people get their first and second ones if, if they haven't gotten them. Well, Congressman, we only have a couple minutes left, if you can believe it. I do want to squeeze in a number, just a, two other questions in here. Um, first and foremost, of course, the government averted a shutdown yesterday. I noticed you did vote against uh, the continuing resolution, which would fund the government till at least mid-February. I wanted to know why and also wanted to ask about the debt limit. That is a, something that's coming up for the House to consider next week. Do you, what do you think the solution should be on that front as well? Well, a couple things. Um, I knew that the government wasn't going to shut down. Um, I don't know if you see me walk the hallways, but um, I went over to the Senate and accurately predicted what was going to happen. Um, so, but, you know, part of it was, um, particularly in this case, none of the Democrats talked to the Republicans. They didn't share the language in advance. And I talked to a number of our uh, House Republicans. They didn't know how long it was going to be. Uh, I voted for the last CR continuing resolution. What was that? Uh, four, five, six weeks ago. Uh, it was under the same same scenario. You know, it was a straight CR, no no shutdown. Uh, a lot of Republicans uh, did vote for that, including myself. But in the interim, nothing happened. No discussion with any Republican. Uh, no asking for help. Can you help us? Do you need anything? I mean, it, there's no communication between the majority and minority. And so, you know, from Kay Granger, who's the top Republican on on uh, appropriations, to Mario Diaz-Balart, who's like a brother to me, uh, none of those folks uh, felt that they were in the loop at all. And so part of the no vote was to send a signal. Hey, you want to work together? You want to follow what President Biden's, you know, said in his uh, inaugural work together? Start using the phone or, or talking to people. Um, that just didn't happen. Uh, so that that was why. Uh, but at the end, I think if we'd had a government shutdown, there would have been a number of us that would have changed votes uh, to make sure that you didn't have the shutdown. But uh, that wasn't really a, a fear. Uh, and only one Republican uh, voted uh, no in, in the House. On the debt ceiling, you know, that's traditionally party and powers. You know, it's, no one likes to do this, let's face it. Uh, right. But it has to. And as a consequence, uh, the party in power has got to usually provide the votes. I can remember you know, I voted for them and I voted against them. Uh, it depends if you're in the majority of minority. It's pretty easy to, to, to look at that record. But it, uh, when they raised the debt ceiling back in, I don't know, it was October, I guess it was, uh, to last until mid-December, uh, Mitch McConnell, I think, then said, we're not going to help you anymore. You're going to have to do something. So what is the do something going to be? Well, as you know, and insiders know, to avoid 60 votes in the Senate, to actually have something passed by a majority versus the filibuster 60 that you need, 
one of the vehicles you can use is called reconciliation. And it was part of the Budget Act in 1974. And there are a couple of reconciliation vehicles that are on the shelf that Chuck Schumer can use to do a debt ceiling that only needs 50 votes instead of 60. At the end of the day, my bet is that's what he's going to do. Um, they'll do that. They'll pass it in the Senate. They'll send it to the House. The votes are there on the Democratic side then to pass that a, a straight debt ceiling increase so that we don't go through a default. Now, I don't expect that that would happen. Got it. Well, before we go, I did want to ask, you know, you mentioned that you want to stay in Congress and, 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 you know, the reason you're there is because you are able to work together because you Congress should be able to do that. Um, I got to ask, do you think that that is going to be the climate next term? And are you going to announce whether you're going to run for office again? Well, you know, a couple of things we've never announced the year ahead. So uh, I break that. But uh, in Michigan, frankly, we don't know what our districts are going to look like yet. You know, we lose a seat. We lost a seat in 2012, but leading up to that, uh, when we had a, a totally Republican environment in Lansing, uh, state Senate, state House, Republican governor, uh, as well as Supreme Court, and we lost a seat then as well, but people knew what the maps were going to look like. My district, it's like a straight square. I mean, Southwest Michigan, and border Indiana to the south, Illinois to the west. It's a, it's a, what we call an R2 district. Uh, so it's a diverse, diversity is our strength. We lose a seat and we have a, now a, a panel that's doing this, a non-elective panel. Uh, and I think if they had been even sixth grade class president that would have disqualified them from participating, they have virtually no political experience at all. And uh, clearly they don't, and that's my own editorial comment. But at the end of the day, we don't know what the district's going to look like. Um, and there's a good chance that uh, my home county is going to get split up. It's going to go from Lake Michigan to Lake Erie. It's going to be 200 miles long and 20 miles wide. Who knows? I'm not moving. <laughs> I, like my, I like my town. Uh, I got a lot of, lot of family there. Uh, we do well. And uh, we'll decide uh, once we, we know what the district looks like and what the, what the environment is. Yeah. Like. But I just this. Know that I'm not afraid uh, to vote my conscience uh, on issues, and frankly, I, I wish we had a little bit more of that across the country. Sure. Well, Congressman, thank you so very much. That is all the time that we have. Appreciate you joining us today. You bet. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.